So good morning, everybody. Uh, hopefully we'll make sense of why we were playing that clip in just a moment. But uh, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm not the pastor of this church. I just happen to be a math teacher that just wandered up here. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, what are the odds of that? Yeah, unusual. They just let me walk up here. Um, so we're going to talk today about the fifth kind of way to wreck your life. We've been, we're closing a series. This is part five of it. Uh, so if you're looking for that final nudge to like tip over the vending machine of your life, this is the one. This is going to be good. But uh, before we do that, if you need a Bible, if you want one to even take home, it's our gift to you. Just kind of raise your hand. We've got some over there and it uh, looks like Zach will pass those out. Um, but let's just pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, uh, that you are God of the universe, that you're at work in all of us. You're drawing us closer to you. And I ask that you would be exalted in us in every way, uh, that you would change our lives, that you would speak to our hearts and, uh, and give us life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, today's sermon in How to Wreck Your Life is How to Lose Your Friends. All right, so this is going to be a good one. Uh, specifically, we're talking about uh, what we say and how we say it. So that's kind of where that clip about gossip ties in uh, and how we can effectively lose our friends based off of the words that we say. So Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So this ends up becoming a heart issue for us that we'll have to deal with. So we'll find out today that what we say matters and that what we say is evidence of what's going on inside of our hearts unbeknownst to us, right? So step number one in how to lose your friends is don't think before you speak, right? So it is of the utmost importance that you never limit your thoughts by restricting them to just your mind. You have to let them out. Verbalize everything. What you have to say is more important than whatever anyone else does, right? So that was sarcasm. I'm trying here. Uh, so sometimes we say whatever comes to our minds as if we're obligated. We're slaves to what we think, and I have to say it. I can't help it, right? But that's actually not the case, right? We should be consulting our conscience before we say things. We should be kind of filtering what's taking place here before it comes out of our mouths, right? So we say what we want a lot of times, and we say it just because it feels right, right? But that's, that's not what we should do. In fact, the Bible says that the kind of person that does this is a fool. You might think, Brian, that was really mean to say. You shouldn't have said that. You should have filtered that one. The Bible said it. So it's, it's a hard truth, but it's good. It's going to make us better. So Proverbs 29 says, A fool gives vent, a full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. So the idea of giving full vent to your spirit is kind of like whatever you're feeling, you say. Right? Every emotion everyone knows about because you put it on Twitter, Facebook, you blurted it out at the family reunion, right? Everyone knows what you're thinking, right? You give full vent to your feelings, you let everyone know about it, right? You, you never restrain yourself, you'll always give a piece of your mind in whatever the situation, right? <clears throat> so on the contrary, it says that a wise person quietly holds it back, right? So we need to be wise in how we choose our words, is the idea. Now, the great news here is that a foolish person can pretend to be a wise person. That's what it says in this next proverb. It's Proverbs 17. It says, uh, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. 
All right? Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So at times, a fool, when quiet, is indecipherable from a wise person. Isn't that great news for all of us fools? Like, this is good. Like, I can pretend to be wise. Awesome, right? Now, notice at the start of this verse, it talks about whoever restrains his words has knowledge. All right, so think about, like, tying, tying them up, right? Restraining them or putting them in handcuffs, right? You're putting it in restraints. You're controlling what you say to the degree of not letting it control you. Now, in the book of James, James continues this concept and says that uh, if anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue, but de- he, he deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Whew, wow, tough stuff. You'd think he would have filtered that. That was kind of harsh. Come on, James. So James says that it's worthless religion if we don't bridle what we say, if we don't control what we're speaking. So the reason that this is important is because what we say not only represents us, but it also represents Christ, right? We're representing him to the world. So a bridle, what he means by that, that's literally like the headgear kind of used to control a horse, like the reins and everything. So the metaphor is that we're supposed to be the masters of our tongue. We're supposed to control everything we say, not the other way around. Now for homework, James chapter 3 continues with this metaphor and like talks all about it, expounds upon it. So homework, James chapter 3, have it for next week. It'll be great. So um, let's see this next part. I have a hard time not making this sound snarky. It's not supposed to be, so see my heart here. But how many of us have ever, uh, like when using a hammer, right, like maybe hit our thumb or finger or something like that and probably used some colorful words in that moment, right? Probably a lot of us. Or if not that, stubbing our toe, something like that. So, so I was trying to think of like, you know, where's the verse in the Bible about when Jesus did that? I mean, he was a carpenter after all. You know, I'm sure like Mary's probably in the back room and you hear Jesus, blah, blah, GD, blah, blah, right? Like, well, I couldn't find it, right? Oh, that's a shame. There was, the closest I could find was there was one time where it wasn't actually his finger, it was his whole hand. And in fact, it was both hands and his feet. And they weren't just hit by a hammer, they were hit by a nail through the hand by a hammer, right? And for six hours, he ended up suffering in this way. And for sure, he was swearing and cussing for all six. Oh, wait, no. No, that didn't happen either. Just that last part anyway. Because Jesus didn't swear and cuss when he was on the cross, right? In fact, he used that opportunity. The words that he spoke were encouraging to the people around him and forgiving the people that were doing that to him, right? So like, that's our standard, really high. I realize that, that's crazy. So many of us, right, we wouldn't swear in church or in the presence of a pastor or, right, or in the presence of kids, we wouldn't, you know, go cussing or whatever. So think about like, well, what if Jesus was standing in this room? Would we be speaking, you know, with vulgarities? Probably not. But I would say, I would argue that it's even more important how we speak when we're in the presence of people that don't know Jesus, right? Because to them, we might be the only Jesus they've ever seen, right? That we're the only Jesus they've ever experienced. So when we're out cussing and telling, you know, crude jokes or whatever, in their presence, they're basically getting the idea, oh, that's how Jesus is. That's cool, right? Like, so we're representing Christ. The Bible actually says that we're his ambassadors, right? We're representatives from heaven, essentially. Uh, So we have to be careful what we say. 
So in Ephesians 4, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your, your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it gives grace to those who hear. So the words we speak, we want to be building the people who hear them up, right? We want to be encouraging, and we want it to be gracious to the listener, right? That, that when their ear hears it, it's, it's an encouraging, uh, sweet thing for them to hear. Ephesians 5 continues with this thought and says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So instead of using our mouths for negative things, we should use them for positive things, right? Like prayer or singing praise, like we did just a moment ago, encouraging other people, all sorts of things like that. We want to spread the gospel, which is delivered by word of mouth, right? That's what we should be doing with our tongues. So let's see. The second step on how to lose your friends is speak highly of yourself and speak evil of others. So let others know how great you are. Don't stop talking about your talents, your possessions, or your virtues. May your words be a verbal resume, bragging of all of your accomplishments. Let your pride be evident in the things that you say. To maintain your image, always talk about others' failures. If you hear a rumor, spread it. If you've run out of great things to say about yourself, however unlikely that might be, tear someone else down with your words. So, uh, boasting is something that I myself struggled with. This one's hard for me, but it's only because I'm so awesome, right? I mean, you guys don't know how challenging it is to be me. I'm so great. So, pride is, uh, is a sin, just so you know. Pride is the reason that Lucifer was cast down from heaven, all right? The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, all right? So, that's kind of where we want our hearts to be before God. And I think you guys probably have experienced this, that prideful friends aren't fun to hang out with, right? It's probably not the best kind of friend. Uh, so, so the tough thing for me is, is going between shame and pride, where, right, when I mess up, when I sin, I'm like, oh, man, and I'm so down on myself, maybe even to the point of depression. But then, like, the moment I start doing good long enough, and I'm like, I haven't messed up. I've got a pretty good streak going here, right? I get in pride about how long it's been since I last sinned. And then instantly, ah, oh, there goes my record. And just like at a factory that keeps track of its injuries, I have to like change the sign. It has been zero minutes since this human heart has demonstrated its sinfulness, right? So it's like, there goes my record. Ah, oh, terrible. So Proverbs 27, talking about boasting, says, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So sometimes I'll delay in bragging about myself like waiting for someone else to talk about how cool I am. And I can't wait that long. So then like I end up like start bragging about myself anyway. And halfway through it, I'm already embarrassed. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. What? Uh, how terrible. So God is proud of us when we do what's right. All right. But he's also given us gifts and abilities that we're supposed to glorify him with. Right. We're not supposed to be glorifying ourselves. In fact, when we do that, we're essentially worshiping us. We're participating in idolatry is what the Old Testament would have called it. So the suggestion from this proverb is that if we do right, at some point there will be other people that encourage us and celebrate our victories. But when we go around bragging, even if our accomplishment was originally commendable, the way we handled it wasn't, 
right? So it's kind of like I'm, I'm bragging trying to build myself up in people's eyes, but by doing so, I'm tearing myself down, right? Because they're like, wow, this guy's great, right? So self-praise is no praise, is the idea. So the flip side of our own personal advertising campaign is mudslinging, right? So we humiliate people with our words, you know, either behind their back or sometimes maybe even in front of them, kind of like we saw in the video clip. And this is a, a costly action, all right? Gossip is a sin, all right? And I know in church, like, we usually, like, we don't like people that do this sin, this sin, or this sin, but gossip should be on that, like, we like every person, obviously, if it's the sin that God needs to deal with, just so we're clear. Uh, but the idea is that gossip is a sin, and it's, it's a dangerous sin, all right? Uh, Paul, in his list uh, to the Romans, talking about kind of like a series of sins that, that he saw these people struggle with, he says in Romans 1, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. So, I mean, at least they're creative, right? They're coming up with their own sins. Uh, Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Wow. So, God hates gossip and murder. He put them in the same list, right? So, that's like, that's pretty crazy. So, we have to guard ourselves from gossip. When someone comes to us with some, some rumor, we should walk away, all right? When we happen to have some juicy morsel, tidbit, fact, secret that we want to share with people, it stops at me, right? That's the idea. So, um, we should pray, in fact, for the people that gossip to us and for the person being gossiped about. So, the one person you can go run and tell is God, right? So, like, he's probably a good person to talk to about those things. In Proverbs 17, it says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So the idea is that when we choose not to spread a rumor, right, we're we're building up relationships with love. We're continuing to, to improve our relationships. However, when we repeat a matter, when we're sharing secrets, that will ruin even the best friendships, all right? And gossip is so serious, it's so costly, that not only can it separate close friends, but it can also ruin relationships, a marriage. It could even ruin a church. So our church here, our community that God's given us, our family here, is a gift from God, all right? It's one that's established on love, but it's a fragile thing. If we go around and start tearing each other down, this community will be lost. I mean, in some capacity, or it'll be split and factioned, and it won't be God's best for us. Um, so let's see. little side note. It turns out regarding rumors, there's a mathematical model that can be used to track the rate at which rumors spread. All right, math teacher, bear with me. I'm not going to get into the mathematics of it, but uh, it's an exponential model, and the only thing that we can control in it in a particular community, right, is this coefficient K, which relates to the rate at which rumors spread. It's kind of like a coefficient of friction, right, for that particular community until it's 100% saturated with the knowledge of the rumor, okay? So... It turns out this kind of model is the same kind of model used by the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, to track the rate at which diseases spread. So the parallel there that I want you to think about when you hear a rumor is think about I'm spreading a disease, 
This is unhealthy. This is hurting my friends and the people around me. All right, so that's the little parallel for us to think about. Galatians 5 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So if we tear each other down, we can literally ruin a church, right? That's what Paul was talking to the Galatians about. So gossip is not a a tolerable sin that we should get along with. Proverbs 20 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. And this leads into our third step, easy step to lose your friends. Talk a lot, all right? So never stop talking. Don't pause for other people to chime in. And when they do, interrupt them, right? So this is kind of like step one, the, you know, don't think about what you say, except this is less about the presence of a filter, and it just has to do with the sheer quantity of words that we say, all right? And I kind of think about this in terms of probability and statistics. It's like if I'm flipping a coin, I might get tails once, maybe twice, maybe three times in a row, but I can't keep flipping that coin and expect that I'm going to continually get tails. And that's kind of like if I'm saying so many words, probability suggests eventually one of those words will be wrong, and I probably shouldn't have said it, right? So we're kind of like challenging the, the statistics of the matter when we keep talking and talking and talking and talking. Eventually, something we say probably won't be right, okay? And I know it's kind of ironic for a preacher to be talking about talking too much as being a bad idea, but let's roll with it. So Proverbs 10 says, you will say the wrong thing if you talk too much. So be sensible and watch what you say, right? So that's exactly what I was just saying. You talk too much, you're going to eventually say something wrong. So James has a solution to this. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. So the idea is, if we're quick to listen, right, when someone is talking, whether about some of their hurts or whatever they're going through, we should have compassionate ears, listening to what they're saying, considering what God would want us to do for them, what prayer we should pray for them, what thing maybe we should respond to them with. Or maybe we don't even need to respond at all. Maybe we just need to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. So the idea is being quick to hear, right? It's hard to do that wrong, right? Like, I don't, I don't know of any time I have to repent for having heard something, right? Listening is, is a good skill. It's a good thing to know. And obviously, that's the kind of friend we'd want to have. So step number four in how to lose your friends is lie when you need to. So don't lie all the time, because then people will know you're a liar. Just lie when it's necessary or when it would benefit you or any time it would just be inconvenient to tell the truth, right? So lying is deceptive, but not just to the victim, but to the liar themselves as well. Now, it turns out in my first marriage, I had contributed to its downfall in two ways. One of them, which was lying. Now, side note, I realize I just tempted all of you gossips. All right, so just do your best, right? Do your best. We're, gonna con- we're talking about lying right now. So, um, <coughs> 
So I had, I had started lying to my ex thinking that, oh, I'm protecting her from the truth. The truth would hurt her feelings or blah, blah, blah. But in reality, it was the sin that I had done that had hurt her. And I was just lying to cover it up, right? Like I had deceived myself into thinking that that was okay. And as a result, it deteriorated uh, the trust in the marriage and corroded the relationship, right? So, so don't lie. Now, I think you guys probably already know that the Bible probably says lying's a sin, all right? You probably know that. So I, I decided to, to look at a couple verses that just talked about kind of like about lying in general. Proverbs 12 <coughs> says that truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So the cool thing about this is that the truth is always true, right? If you spoke the truth on a matter, you don't have to like worry every day, am I going to be found out? Because it's the truth, right? You don't have to worry about being caught. And in fact, when you speak the truth and it's found out that what you spoke was true, you get some more credibility. People trust you. They, they view you as an honest person. But it says, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So for a bit, a lie will be believed, right? And maybe you get away with it for a little bit of time, but eventually the liar is exposed, right? The truth comes out and trust is lost, right? Ephesians 4 tells us to speak the truth in love. Now, sometimes we avoid saying the truth because we think like it might hurt the person even temporarily. But in, in reality, that's not loving, all right? Other times, uh, we speak the truth, but we do it in a cruel way, really harsh, and that's obviously not loving. So we have to find the right balance between truth and love and do it in a way that is going to be received by the person who hears it, hopefully. Now, I think that the most offensive truth is probably the gospel, right? It's the idea that we're expecting the hearer to acknowledge that they're a sinner and are worthy of judgment, right? That's, that's a hard truth. Like, bad news, your life is, is ruined, right? That's, that's kind of a hard thing to hear. Uh, but it's also the most loving truth to share with someone because it's like the greatest love story ever told, that God died for us, that he loves us so much that he wants to spend eternity with us and made a way to forgive us of our sins, right? That's great news. So when we speak the truth in love, we want to make sure that we're, we're sharing the gospel. We're not like shying away from it, like, oh, Jesus loves you. Like, like we need to like actually like share this good news, right? It's, it's something worth being excited about. So we are to tell the truth even when it hurts us or may temporarily hurt those around us, right? We're, we're supposed to confess when we sin, when we mess up. We're supposed to repent and change our actions and make things right. So the truth is a challenge, but speaking it sets us and the people who hear it free, right? We no longer are slaves to having to remember and juggle all of the lies we've been telling and who I told it to and have to live in fear about like, oh no, what happens if I get found out? right? In fact, when we just start telling the truth all of the time, life becomes really simple, and it's awesome, right? So in terms of friendship, Proverbs says, uh, Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So a good friend will tell you the truth, all right? In fact, we should try to surround ourselves with friends that care about us enough that they'd confront us when we're in sin, 
right? A good friend I like to think about it would tell you when your fly's down or if you've got a booger on your face before you come up to preach a sermon. So, um, but an enemy would just keep flattering you, right? An enemy is just going to like just keep, oh, you're great. That's awesome. Wonderful news. But flattery is, is deceptive. They don't actually genuinely care about you, and they wouldn't tell you the truth if you were hurting yourself or those around you, right? So we want to choose friends that would tell us the truth. We want to be a friend that would care enough about the people in our lives that we'd want them to stop, right, harming themselves. Proverbs 16 says that a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. So that hits two of our points so far. Dishonesty, right? Lying. And also whisper in terms of gossip. And that's how we can lose our friends. So let's see. So the last step in how to lose your friends is believe that what you say doesn't matter. Okay? Don't think anyone will ever call you out for what you say. Believe that you will never be held accountable for your words. If someone quotes you later, just say, that's not what I meant. Keep thinking that there is no cost or consequence to your words. So this is the biggest lie. And I really hope you don't leave here thinking that your words don't matter. Because they really, really do. Every word counts. Every one. Now think about people who are angry. All right, Proverbs says, uh, Proverbs 15, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So depending on how we respond, we can bring peace to a dispute, all right? Or we can just pour on more anger and then ruin a friendship forever, all right? Uh, So sometimes the person might say, well, I didn't mean it. I just said it because I was angry, as if they were like, nope, I was under timeout. There was no foul. It was all good. I, I, angry card, I'm free. I'm, I'm, nope, not guilty, right? But that doesn't count, all right? The words you say matter no matter what the circumstances were or the context in which you said it. All right? Think about the fact that words spoken in anger to a child can stick with that child for the rest of its life. Right? Like, words matter. It doesn't matter what our emotions were at the time. We have to guard what we say. So, Proverbs 16 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So I ask you guys, take the challenge, this victorious quest, to rule your spirit. All right, this is something worth aiming for. This is something worth celebrating, right? If you can control your spirit, you're better than the greatest hero, is what this is saying. So we got to control our temper. Think also about complaining, right? If our words don't matter, we complain all the time. Uh, Perhaps you're familiar with the Old Testament story where God delivers the Israelites out of years of slavery from Egypt, and he does it in all these miraculous ways. And after that, right, he does all this cool stuff, demonstrates I am God, does all sorts of things, and they go on a four-day journey, but it takes them 40 years until a whole generation dies off except for two people, and then the rest of them are able to enter into the promised land. So the idea is what caused them, right, to have to wander for 40 years. A portion of it is because they were complaining, all right? And if you think about it, complaining is essentially saying, God, you're not good. My life circumstances don't represent what they should be, and I don't trust you. 
in, in reality, complaining is, is kind of a type of blasphemy, right? And this is really tough to hear. I just want to let you know, God loves you. I don't want to mess up your doctrine. But at one point, God heard the Israelites complaining, and a whole bunch of them get consumed by fire, right? Crazy stuff. So <laughs> the point is that the words of the complainers were significant, so much so that it, it cost some of them their lives, right? So the New Testament holds the same standard about complaining. Philippians uh, 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Right? So that's our challenge. That's what, that's what we need to try to do because our words matter. And, if, and think about it. Who wants to be friends with someone who complains all the time? Right? That's not fun. <coughs> so our words matter. Now this next verse is really difficult to hear. It's the, like the most challenging and I'm not, I didn't just like choose this, like I can't wait to tell them. Like, no, like this is challenging for me when I read it. So recognize that. I'm just going to take a drink of water. So Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37. This is Jesus talking. <clears throat> and he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So this is like really high bar. Now I want to point out we're still saved by grace, but what we say matters, all right? And the people that choose to not walk this path and accept this gift of free salvation, unfortunately, like they're going to experience full judgment for every word they've ever said. And in this modern age of social media and the internet and Facebook, we've seen the extreme failures of people that post stuff online, and we're like, okay, I'm not going to do that, right? But we don't apply the same stringent uh, filter, I guess, to what we say out loud, right? We're like, hey, I can say whatever I want, you know? Uh, but God, Jesus is saying here that, that God knows everything we say, right? And it matters. Um, and we know that, like, you know, in terms of the internet, that that anything that's posted is, is ne you know, pretty much never able to be deleted. It's really hard to do that. Uh, and, and lately, what I've been doing this year as, as a math teacher, I've been live streaming all of my, my lessons so that when I'm teaching, I'm recording them and broadcasting them onto the Internet, like, live. So that way, students can then go on YouTube later and, and check them out or if they were absent or whatever. Uh, and so as a teacher, I'm already kind of cautious about what I say in my class, right? Like, because I could probably lose my job if I say something wrong. Uh, but I'm even more cautious when I hit that record button because I know, like, a kid could run home and be like, Mom, Dad, check out what Mr. Waddy said, right? Like, it's recorded. It's permanent, right? So the same sort of mentality is, is what we should have when we're thinking about what we say whenever, right? So uh, Jesus said that everything we say is recorded, all right? We're held accountable to everything that we say. So in conclusion, uh, Directly before Jesus said that verse, all right, he's talking to the Pharisees. In Matthew 12, 34 and 35, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So the point is, what we say isn't just an issue of the tongue. It's an issue of our hearts. It's all about our hearts. And 
the bad news is that we can't fix our hearts ourselves. All right? Our hearts are deceptive. And in fact, the only one that can fix it is Jesus. And when we choose to make him our, our Lord and Savior and choose to follow him, he can give us a new heart. He, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives inside of us, enabling us to do what's right, to live out what God's called us to do, right? And it's only by his fixing our hearts that we can have an unwrecked life because without him, we're already wrecked, right? We're already wrecked. And if you think about it, I mean, it makes sense to trust God with, with our lives because, I mean, one, he kind of he created life. He's got a plan for our lives, and Jesus was a carpenter for a while, so he knows how to fix things, right? So, like, we can give our broken lives over to him, and he's going to make it into something beautiful, no matter how bad we've messed it up. So, so, church, let's turn our hearts and our words and our friendships, our relationships, uh, let's turn our church over to Christ and let him do the full work that he needs to do to, to make us right before him, to forgive us of our sins so that we don't have to deal with the consequences of the things we do wrong, right? He can heal us permanently, right? So we don't keep spreading this disease. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you that you love us, that you've called us to, to be co-laborers with you, that you let us speak on your behalf and deliver the message of your gospel, the good news. I ask, Lord God, that uh, you would stir in our hearts that you'd confront us for the things perhaps that we need to repent about, the things that we've said that have harmed and wounded other people and that have caused strife or gossip, whatever it might be. I ask that you would lead us to go to the people that we've offended and, and repent. Lord, if it was perhaps even our own children, if we said something negative, I ask that you'd uh, help us humble ourselves in front of them and let them know that we messed up. And I ask, God, that you would empower us, uh, that we would go out and be able to, to share the gospel in a mighty way, unashamed, and uh, be able to speak this good news, speak this truth in love. In Jesus' name. Amen.